We're going to continue our journey into talking about the three chairs here on the stage. Can everyone see those chairs? Or am I blocking them? I'm going to be pacing back and forth. I'm pretty excited this morning, so if I get pacing and blocking your view, just wait 10 seconds and I'll go the other way. Thank you, worship team. Wow. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. I know this is probably a rhetorical question, but how many of you would like to soar with me today into the things of God? Wow. You know, uh, I was just down the street at uh, Zwick's Park for the uh, butterfly run. And as you walked onto the property, you begin to cry with the presence of God. And the people were crying because they had lost a child in, in childbirth or before the child was born. And there was such, uh, there, was, there was crying, but there was hope down there. People had groups, uh, 10, 15, 20 people wearing a t-shirt in memory of Caitlin in memory of, uh, of Austin, Team Austin, they had all these shirts that they were honoring those who had passed early. And there was so much support down there. And there were signs about the strength of a mother's love who will not give up for her lost child. And even though there was sadness, there was comfort in community and friends and family. I saw a lot of our church friends down there supporting and and talking with people, and, and a lot of our people are actually volunteering down there. It's a really beautiful thing. And to see that in our city is an encouragement. To see that hope that comes from supporting things like Butterfly Run, which are all about the dignity of life. And one of our gifts of inheritance is that we know what life is, and we stand for life from conception all the way to the grave. We love everyone. And we think all people are created and made in the image of God. And it was it just so beautiful to see. Is that the uh, PowerPoint version? We can do the keynote one? All right. That's no problem. Thank you. Well, I know we're a Mac church, but we do some things with other software. <laughs> well, as Pastor Kevin has been uh, introducing the series and helping begin this process of understanding our inheritance, uh, you'll see Ephesians chapter 1 here, verse 18 through 23, or 15 actually. Therefore, I also, I'm going to read it to you. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, everyone say far above. Far above. 
all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things, everyone say all things, under his feet and gave him to be head over all things, say all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, one of the keys of receiving our inheritance as saints, as Pastor Kevin said the first week, one of the keys is how we see ourselves. How we see ourselves unlocks our inheritance. And I'm not talking about self-salvation, but how we see ourselves is one of the keys to receiving it. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. So today we're going to think about how we see ourselves. And these three chairs up here are going to represent the three ways we see God and the three ways we see ourselves. You get to choose, by the end of this morning, which chair you want to be in. Because all three of them are open. All three chairs are your choice. Now, as we look at these three chairs today, chair one represents the kingdom of God, as Pastor Kevin taught us. Who wouldn't want to sit in that thing? Woo! Man, that's comfy. Chair two, good old-fashioned church chair. Got to love them. Kingdom of self. And chair three is a lost kingdom, is a kingdom outside the love and promises of God and Jesus Christ. It's someone who does not know who God is or has never uh, been born again by trusting him and placing their faith in him. Those are the three chairs we're going to talk about. Those are three ways of seeing reality and seeing God. So what I want to do is kind of break down those chairs today. So let's go to the next one. All right. These are three different S's here. So if you start in chair three, that's not knowing God. Unknowingly, you are a slave. Unknowingly, you are a slave to dark spiritual forces. I'm not going to ask for volunteers to come up and sit in that chair. You are a slave to things that you cannot control or you cannot overcome. You are a slave to the uh, world forces, demonic forces, uh, Satan's... uh, Evil and destructive pathways, those are your future promises apart from God. But chair two, we move out of a slave mentality and we become born again. We put our faith in God and he, we have a rebirth. And we now realize, most of us, I don't know about you, but for me, I grew up in chair two knowing now that I'm saved, I will be a servant of God. And you switch into the second seat. And everyone was telling me, you you know, you serve God. A real man of God, a real woman of God is a servant. And they will sacrifice just like Jesus did. And I thought, that is in the Bible. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it better than anyone else. I'm going to go to that Bible study. I'm going to go to that prayer meeting. I'm going to volunteer at that thing because what's important is to show God how serious you are about your faith through service. And then I got to university, and in someone, they confirmed it because the buzzword at the Christian university was servant leadership. 
which is a really good leadership model. It's in most of the books, even non-Christian books. The more you serve others, it prospers them and blesses them, and in turn, your company and everything else gets blessed. Servant leaders. Then I really knew I was on the right track. I'm going to sign up for one more volunteer position. I'm going to do one more ministry, and I'm not going to miss the next prayer meeting. Because now I know that if I serve people, one, they're going to like me, and God's going to like me. And my life will go well. That's chair two. Does anyone have any recognition of that chair? You know, there's a lot of blessings in chair two. Eternal salvation, for one, is a pretty good gig. It's great insurance to know that you have been sealed in God and that he has prepared an eternal home for you. I mean, that's good news. That's the gospel of salvation. When I was five and a half years old, I raised my hand and went to the altars and got right with God through Jesus Christ. And I sat in chair two for the next 25 years or more. Now, what would happen when I would have a bad day, though, is I would start acting like chair one again. Because how many know you can't please everybody? I sure tried. And in chair two, you get lots of practice. I thought if everyone liked me, then everything was okay. Then I, that meant God liked me, and then I would have favor in my life. As long as I didn't mess up. And as long as I didn't sin or get caught with a secret sin. Because that would be even worse. A fraud, a hypocrite. So that what do you do? You start hiding your sin from everyone except God. Because you don't want them to find out that you're not got it all together, and you're not the perfect servant. Wow, that leads to shame and more hiddenness, more sin. It's a vicious cycle. So I got pretty good at hiding on chair two. Now, as you move into chair one, you realize it's not primarily what you do for God. It's who you are with God. And that goes to the most basic foundational relationship on the planet within the family context and you might hear it called sonship or adoption through Christ. It's called being a son or daughter of God. You can't get more basic than parents because we all came from one. It's just the way God created reality. In fact, even in the Holy Trinity, he created Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even God thought it was a good idea for his family before he created us for his family. It just is. It's reality. So we never want to break out of family dynamics because all of the creation is built upon those principles. So how do you see yourself when you wake up in the morning? A slave to your day, a servant to the tasks, or a beloved son or daughter of God? Now, I don't know about you, but this morning when I got up, I said, I feel like sometimes a slave. I feel like a servant. But today, I am, and I started confessing who I am with the words of my mouth. I, did, had, to, I had to tell myself and my soul and remind myself who I was. Because sometimes, how many know, your mind and your tiredness can tell you some lies. Really quick. All you need to do is hang around my three-year-old daughter and she'll cheer you up. 
my three-year-old daughter, Lucy, I got her something down as, a, as food or something, and she looked at me, and she goes, Dad? I said, yeah. She goes, you're the greatest man ever. And I said, thank you. She goes, you're welcome. And she walked off, and I felt like a million bucks. And she'll just say it, you know. Greatest dad ever. Greatest, I love you and mom and Spencer and Kate. Yeah, let's go get some ice cream. And, you know, like, I'm like, yes, we will. But let's do it later. I jumped ahead with that, but. Now, I don't know if this one's on. Uh, what's the next screen you guys have? Okay. I'll do this other one in a second on my own. Okay, so now let's go back to chair three. When you're in chair three, it's anarchy and pride because there is no God or you don't care to observe him, you're going to do it your way. And so you believe you are God. It, you probably wouldn't use that word, but you believe you're the center, and you're, it's up to you. And you are not going to allow a higher narrative, this global thing of God conscience, come upon your life. You're not going to do that. You've got another way. Every false religion, every false philosophy that is against the person of Jesus Christ is in that category. Two, second chair, you feel like you've made a deal with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. The contract was if you confess him and believe in your heart that he will give you a contract and you have a pass into heaven and out of hell. Pretty good deal. That's what I thought when I was five. But you believe, I believe that that was based on behavior. In other words, as long as you don't screw up too much, the contract stands. But if you do too much sin, and he catches you, which of course he does because he knows everything, you're probably out. And you, you probably remember, I did, we were, if the rapture happens when you're in sin, and he sees you, you're done. You're left behind, or you're worse, you're not coming to heaven at all. And my parents had that gospel preached to them. So they were pretty anxious and pretty fearful. How many know when you're under fear and anxiety, you don't tend to honor God that well? So I grew up thinking, gosh, as long as I hide some stuff and try my best, then, it'll, then I'll get in probably. I hope they don't catch me. Wow, what a fun way to live. Not a fun way to live. Not at all. Because you're doing good and everyone thinks you're good, but you feel ashamed on the inside. And you haven't let Christ come in yet to wash and renew you. You switch over to chair one. This is a beautiful place. I learned about covenants. It's a fun thing to study because once you learn about covenants, you realize covenants are not based on behavior. Covenants are based on a free will choice of the other person towards you. So a marriage covenant that I have with my wife, Katrina, I chose to love her unconditionally, for better or for worse, not based on her behavior, but on my choice. My choice is based in the grace of God, so I can have the grace to love her all the time. She's choosing to love me not based on my behavior, which is a contract, but on her free will choice to love me unconditionally. See, it's not based on the other person now. It's based on your relationship. It's a choice. That's how God wants to do life with us, and they're based on promises, not behavior. Now, will God deal with our behavior? Sure. Will God bring correction to us? Yes. 
Every good father does that for his son and daughter. But is that why he loves us? Is our behavior why he lets us stay in the family? But I thought for years that's how you stayed in the house, is you do your best you can and don't get caught. That doesn't sound like the gospel. Unfortunately, that's what I thought. Now, I don't think you guys have this one on the slide, but what we're going to do is think of chair three as a wounded person, wounded with sin and shame and confusion and lack of peace. When you come into Christ at first, many of us, now we're saved, but we're like a saved victim. In other words, our thinking never really changed except for we know that one day we're going to go to heaven. So we're like a saved victim, meaning everything is still against us. I'll do it my way. I'm going to have to fight for myself. I realized one time in my young life, I was dealing with some problems in my life, and I've talked to my parents about this. They weren't at the time, they didn't have enough gas in the tank, metaphorically speaking, to help me with my problem. So they they said, you're going to need to get over that. So I internalized that as I'm on my own now. I sense my parents, in the best of their abilities, were not able to. And I guess since I can't work it out with God right now, Mark's on his own. I'm going to tough it out. Now, last year, the Holy Spirit showed me that. And I went to my parents, and we reconciled over that issue, even though it happened when I was a teenager. Because I was living from that false truth that I'm on my own now or that they might quit on me. Have you ever had a a close friend or a family member quit on you, walk out on you? Let's not get that confused with God because I did. I thought maybe that's how God feels. I was wrong. In chair one, we become benevolent victors. We move out of a victim mentality oh no, oh no, to over here as a benevolent victor. In other words, now you're overcoming things by the power of God, but you don't, you're benevolent in the sense that once you overcome, you don't push it down on people and say, now I've got it together, pull your, your junk together, you better start acting right. No, you say, how can I now serve you in my freedom? You're benevolent, not in a patronizing way, but in a way that says, I love freedom, and how can I help you? How can I come alongside of you and share my love with you freely to help you? It's a way different way. And you know you're in chair two when someone comes up and congratulates you for something. Let's say you're on the worship team today, and someone says, hey, Matt, I'll use the example. Great job up there. That was fun. Man, that was a real blessing. And Matt goes, have you ever heard this? Oh, no, brother, wasn't me. It was all God. Well, no, duh. I knew, th- I knew God used you. But you know when people won't receive compliments? They're stuck in chair two because they're so unhealthy. They feel so unworthy of God's love. They can't receive a blessing or a compliment. Now, if I come up to Matt and say, great job, brother. That was fun. That was awesome. God is using you. And he says, thank you so much. It is wonderful. I love to do this. I love God. And we both just smile and and that's it. See how he received it in a humble way? He acknowledged that it was from God, but he wasn't like debasing himself. God doesn't get glory out of us debasing ourselves. He gets glory out of us humbling ourselves. But there's a difference. 
between the two. I, train, I tell my children, you don't have to tear someone down to make yourself feel better. You've been in a work environment like that before? Always people pushing people down so they feel better about themselves? That's not how it works in the chair one. Chair one, everyone can grow and be better. There's not just one piece of pie. There's an infinite amount of pie, and everyone's welcome to the table. So you don't have to fight over who gets the pie. Who likes strawberry rhubarb pie? Fresh, little tangy, little tart. Okay, there's lots of strawberry rhubarb pie in heaven, so we don't have to fight. We don't have to fight anymore and say, oh, I just, I got to get my piece. We got to let go of there's not enough. And switch over to the chair one is, there's more than enough. Would you like some of mine? So when you end the three chairs, chair three is like you feel like an orphan. Then, unfortunately, by faith you become a born-again Christian, but often we join a church slipping into an orphanage because the church can easily be filled with all of us acting like victims and orphans, meaning we don't know our Father yet. We don't trust Him. We're still trying to do it ourselves. So our church becomes like an orphanage, and we're all still kind of walking around going, yeah, maybe someday I'll get my breakthrough. Maybe someday I'll, I'll get that financial breakthrough or that money to pay for that, or someday, and there's all these some days. We, we got these little groups, and we're all fractured and hanging around and not connecting because we... we we don't feel trust to, to connect. We're acting like we don't know who we are. So we stay close and guarded and protected. That's an orphanage. It's not a long-term solution. But in chair one, we switch through adoption. When you put your faith in Christ, you switch by adoption into family. And family, like I said in the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is where we all get to live forever. Now, is family perfect do you have a perfect family? Do you have any relatives that you struggle with? Nervous laughter kind of rumbles through. And do you think God knows our situation about our families? Yeah. So I'm not talking about perfection, am I? I'm talking about acknowledging people for value and worth and letting everyone come into the family. I know we'll have healthy boundaries, and we have to say yes, and we have to say no. But there's room at the table in the family of God. Now, I want to see if I can, uh, we're going to try to do a video uh, off of Facebook. We're going to see if we can connect it here. And this is a picture of family, uh, family and family reunion. And I think this is the picture of the Father's heart. Okay, can you switch it over to Apple TV? Just bear with me here for a second. Here we go.
yourself. You know, we all desire to belong to a family. And when I'm having rough days, I go find military unions online and watch them for about a half hour. Because it shows me what heaven's going to be like and what we're supposed to practice here on earth. And that's the desire that our Father in heaven has made a family and that he has written you a handwritten letter. Do you notice what he said? He said, this is handwritten. It's not an email. It's not a text. His father penned it. And Father God penned it with the life of Jesus Christ. He penned it in the flesh for Jesus Christ to come down to earth. And I, I feel like Jesus came down and he was inviting everyone, please come and sit in chair one. Would you please leave your old life? Leave chair three. Don't even jump into chair two. Come straight to dad's house, my Abba Father. Look how many times God uses the, Jesus used the word Father in the New Testament. You know, the most time he's not saying God and Lord of heaven, you are the CEO of heaven. He doesn't use that language, does he? He says, Father, Father, 
my father. My father told me. My father showed me. My father, I heard my father. My father, Abba, father, my father. He says it throughout the New Testament. And he's calling us to chair one. He's calling us in to wrap our arms together with him and say, I love you. You didn't earn it. You don't have to deserve it. I love you by birthright because you're my son and daughter. That's the choice we have before us. That's the life that we have before us. See, in chair one, I don't know if we have this one. Go ahead. Let's just pause it there. I realized Pastor Kevin taught me something about chair one, the kingdom. You know what? This is it, that God likes me. A lot of us in chair feel like God has to love us because, wow, he did, he did after all, give his son as a sacrifice on the cross. So God has to love me now because the Bible said so. So I, I don't feel lovely, but I know he has to. He's probably like, shucks, come on in. You know, we saved some leftovers for you. Do you know that God likes you? He, he looks at you and he begins to study you and say, I, I know the hairs on your head. I understand how you're wired. I know your personality type. I know your DNA structure. I know your passions and your, and your dreams and your vision. And I love you and I like you. Well, we're, Pastor Kevin and I are sitting at Starbucks one day, which only happens weekly or more. Habits are formed daily, that's right. We're working on a habit. Well, we were sitting down, and we were having a great heart-to-heart heart, heart conversation. I don't even remember what we were talking about. And, uh, and he leaned across the table. You know, those tables aren't that big, so we're pretty close. And he said, you know what? Mark, God likes you too. And I was kind of like, well, that's weird. You know, two men sitting there at the table having a cup of coffee, and he's, God likes you. And, he, and I'm like, okay, this is getting, you know, touchy-feely. And I'm fine with that. And he said, he said, you know what? He even sees the, the little stubble in the hair on your chin, and he sees your face, and he likes you. I'm like, whoa, this is. And the love was just like going, Woo, and the love tank was just filling up. And I love uh, words of affirmation for love. But he said that. He probably doesn't even remember it because he was just being himself. But he was speaking into me the heart of God. And, my, and I just, all of a sudden, I was going, wow, God likes me like that? He, like, likes me, like, physically and loves me? And it was just, like, I wasn't raised with that kind of gospel. See, that's good news that God likes me and loves me for who I am. See, while we were yet sinners, God died for us, Romans 5.8. He's not waiting you to take, he's not asking you to take a bath before you come to church with your sins. He loves you where you're at. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, we found out in Psalm 139, and he knows the hair on our heads, Matthew 10.30. See, in chair one, the kingdom of God, we believe that identity is before inheritance. So Pastor Kevin taught us week one, I am who he says I am. And who we are are sons and daughters of God. So that's where we start. So this is a, a good review of our inheritance, because identity becomes before inheritance. We're people before the stuff. How many of you have read the uh, prodigal 
uh, prodigal God or the parable of the lost sons or, the, or, or Luke 15 where we have the younger brother who runs off and the older brother who stays and works hard. See, neither brother in that parable, and we'll get deeper into that parable, but neither brother knew who they were. Both brothers were trying different ways to get their dad's stuff. But what did the father want? He said to the older brother, son, first of all, all that I have is yours, so you can get the stuff. That's fine. I've always been with you. Now would you come into the house and let's have a party together. Your brother's back. Your brother's home. The one that was uh, in bondage and breaking. Your brother's home. Would you come into the house? Would you get out of trying to earn your way into my love? And would you come out of chair two and get into chair one and have a party with me and your younger brother? See, the brother was so broken, he knew he couldn't do chair two. He didn't have it together. So he just humbled, he just said, I just, God, just welcome me back. And the father threw a robe on him and some sandals and a ring and said, come into the house and let's have a party. We begin to say, you know what? I am a saint in God, but I sometimes sin. That's what we start confessing because it's more true than the lie that we're not saints in Christ. Two, I have what he says I have. When it comes to inheritance, we, we start studying what it means to be a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And that's found in Romans 8.17. We become co-heirs. And we could spend years just learning about the promises of God, and we're going to do that in that series. What are our birthrights, and what do we have in our inheritance with God? I have what he says I have. Once you know what you have, then you can start working with God and do what he says you can do. Have you ever tried to do something, but you didn't have what it takes to do it? How frustrating that job is? Oh, man. I've been there so many times. But God is saying... Why don't you do life with the things that I've given you freely? What is God calling you to? Well, you'll find that out once you know what he's already given you. And then he wants to do a teamwork thing. He wants to have a family meeting. How many of you ever worked with family members before outside the home? Man, that's a test, isn't it? Well, guess what? God wants to do a family business with us here at Desert Stream, all of us in. And it is going to be a test. And that's okay. We know that. We know it will take maturity. But we're going to work together with Christ with what he's given us. See, in chair two, the kingdom of self, inheritance becomes before identity. So we try to please God so that we can earn things. And we ask the questions like this, is God mad at me? Have you ever asked that question? Oh, I wonder how God feels. And then we say, I have what I deserve. I earned it. Have you ever met someone that, hey, I work, I did it. That's mine. It's rightfully mine. I'm the one that put in the effort. And that's true. They did put the effort in. Now, we know through chair one who gave them the grace to even get up that morning to, to be alive but effort equals inheritance in chair two. How many know you can't earn inheritances? Is that even, that's against the concept of an inheritance? Inheritance comes to you, right? You don't get one. You don't fight for one. You don't grab for one. 
That would be a chair one or chair two. Chair three is a gift. And how many would say, you probably don't even want an inheritance you're going to have to fight for? That's just a free piece of, I've watched families tear each other apart because they're fighting for the inheritance. Even though legally, it's theirs. But it's different when you wait for it to come to you. Because it's based on who you are, not on what you have. And thirdly, lastly, in the kingdom of self, you say, I am a sinner saved by grace. Have you ever heard a lot of people say that, right? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that's because they feel so horribly bad about themselves that day that they say that. I've said it before. Oh, man, poof. And they feel low, and they feel just lucky. Just feel lucky to get in the kingdom. They just snuck in. And I'm just, whew, man. That's when you realize you're in chair two. You're not saying I'm a saint who sometimes sins. You're saying I am a horrible, filthy, no good, two-bit sinner. And man, Jesus just rescued me out of the pit, and I'm just going to get by. I don't know why I say that with like a southern cowboy attitude, but no offense if you're into southern cowboys or attitudes like that. Now, in the third chair, the lost, it's similar. It's do, have, be. You do things to get things, and once you get things, you think you're somebody. So you don't believe in Jesus. You're on your own. You feel like an orphan. And you believe you have what you deserve. I have what I deserve. I did it my way. How many have heard the song, I did it my way? Makes me want to throw up in my mouth. It's so against the gospel. I don't, when people play it, I just smile and say, if that's what you want to do, do it. But it is not the Jesus way. It's not the chair one. It's the pride of man saying, yeah, I did it. I did it my way, suckers. It's like, okay. We can all do a lot of things in the flesh, but it doesn't mean it's good or right. Pastor Kevin said, a self-made man is a man to be pitied. Because that means he had no father in his life to help him. Or a mother. Self-made men and women, unfortunately, they had to be sometimes. But they didn't have someone there to guide them. So they had to do it on their own. But we're moving out of that into chair one, where we always have a father. And you hear them say, I'm a self-made person. I've earned it. I've earned my respect. I've earned my money. I've earned my power and influence. Well, I want to close. And... Um, If, is there, uh, can the worship team maybe do a piano or a, a background music for me, please, as I finish? That would be great. We just got about five minutes here. And, you know, we're going to talk about how do you live from here and how do you stay here, right? Because we're, we're getting used to what it is, but now we want to know how to stay here. And first of all, you have to become a son or daughter of God. You have to confess to Christ that you can't do it on your own. You have to say, I admit I have sin in my life, Jesus. It's called repentance. you got to turn from your old ways and come into the kingdom of God and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's where it all starts. You have to humble yourself and say, I'm not going to do it my way. I want to do it Jesus' way. Then you hunger and thirst for his presence. He'll give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He'll give you power from heaven to make good choices. It's called the Holy Spirit. He will fill you. He will give you gifts. He will help you. He will not leave you as, as an orphan, he said. He will come alongside you and help you. And then lastly, 
we begin to be released into action, and that's our become part, that's our action, and we learn to live from the blessing, from the gifts, from the chair, from unconditional love, we go out and we, we serve people. We don't do it for those reasons. We do it from those reasons. And we begin to work according to heaven's resources, not our personal resources. We don't say, well, that'll never happen because I don't have it. That is a chair two or chair one perspective. Chair, excuse me, chair three or chair two perspective. A chair one says, you know what? I don't have it right now, but I know my father has all things. And I'm going to talk to him and ask him, if he would please release the resources of heaven to me and to my family, and we are going to accomplish what he has asked us to do, and he will get the credit because it came from his bank account. We will have the joy of doing it with him, but he will get the credit. And then watch God release it. You guys have that last chair that called the three chairs there? Yeah. So this is the picture that I got when I was preparing. Three chairs up here. Chair one, we all start there from birth. We know that because of sin and destruction, we're no longer friends with God. He wants to be friends with us, but we've gone our own way. We start at the same line, and that's sin. That's, that's going against God. But we, we, we turn to God. We turn to Jesus Christ. And if we believe in him and we trust him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to become in your family. He'll say, okay. And this is the picture I got. It's like getting in the wheelbarrow. God, when you put your faith in God and his love and you get adopted into his family, he says, jump in, son. Have you ever, ever had a wheelbarrow ride before? They're kind of dangerous and fun. They're fun to get in. They're kind of dangerous to push because when you hit that bump, you know, someone's flying. But God is like, okay, son. Okay, daughter, get in. And you're like, really? This is going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. Come on in. In fact, you know what he does? He just skips right by chair two. You don't have to sit in chair two. You don't have to spend years and months and weeks. Oh, man. Chair two. I'm just, maybe when I'm older, I'll get out of that chair, and then I'll really enjoy the presence of God. No, 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 no. The wheelbarrow is the faith and love of God through Jesus Christ, and you get in. Let him take you. Let him take you to the kingdom of God. Let him take you to chair one. Let him take you right here. Not by our own efforts so that no man may boast. We boast in God and say, God took me there. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't deserve it. But God can do it. And that is the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is God does it. And we say yes. He's looking for yes people. He's looking for yes ladies and men. Say yes. God, I'll hang out in the house. I'll sit in the chair. It looks comfortable and there's lots of food. I will go. I know I don't earn it or deserve it, but can I hang out in the house? God will say, you bet. I got a spot for you. And you know what? After that meal, I want to work on a project with you. You want to you work with me? We're going to do some cool things in the kingdom. We're going to go do some cool, loving things in the city of Belleville. Do you want to, you want to do it together? Yes. If you read the painting here, Magda painted this painting over here. It's like the gospel and renewal and uh, love. It's all, come read it after the service. She wrote it out. And it talks about how God renews you in chair one. And then he sends you out full of love. It's so, it's so beautiful. It's a great picture. And what I, how I want to end 
is by choice because the kingdom is a choice and God doesn't force anything, but he does invite you into things. So what I've done, I've printed off some chair one seats. It says, by the grace of God, our Father, I choose to live from chair one, the kingdom of God. I choose. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set chair one right down here. And because we're coming to a close, I don't even know if there's enough in here for everyone. There's at least 100 or so of these. But for you and your family, do you want to try chair one? Or maybe you're in it and you just want to stay there because it's that good. I'm going to set these on chair one and I'm going to give you an opportunity to choose to come up and take one. And you can take it back to your seat. You can sit it down on your chair and you can just say, I choose chair one. Because I know chair one's up there, but really chair one with God is everywhere you go. Because the kingdom of God, the Bible says, is where? On the inside of you. Okay? So, Tom, can you help me bring that chair down? So I'm going to pray and close. And you're dismissed to, for your kids and to come up and get one. Um, if we run out, just take your journal or just write chair one on that thing. Write love, write kingdom of God, write family. And take it home with you. Throw it on the mirror, put it in your car seat. Let it get wrinkled all week because you're in chair one. And it's good news. And it costs Jesus everything for chair one. And it will cost you your life. You will have to give your life up. You will have to surrender everything. But the peace and the joy and the love will be eternally yours as a gift. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ that chair one is open to every man and woman and child who would accept you and accept freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We love this chair, Lord. We don't want to ever leave it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed, and you can come up if you can get one if you'd like to.